0: And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful.
1: I have a bad feeling about this.
0: What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what?
1: It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The what the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. <laughs> oh, well, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> good, good, how you doing? Good. You... you you said it in a, such a way that I thought, like, the Zoom paused for a second, and it, like, did the catch-up sort of thing. Mm-mm. So don't scare me like that. <laughs> we're good. We're stable. Good.
0: I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, not stable, depending on who you ask, but
1: Well, your stable. internet connection is stable. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I see. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um. Well, we're, this week, we uh, so we took a week off, as, as mm-hmm. we mentioned, uh, just to life happens. Uh. But as promised, we're back. With our April release roundup, because April had a ton of new release films that we were very excited to see. And so we figured, hey, let's just combine them all into an episode and talk about them. Um, So we have four movies to discuss, so I think we're just going to dive into it. um, And let's just start with our first one, which will go in release date order. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it actually technically came out in New York, L.A. the end of March, but it was accessible to you and I, and most people in the country, uh, in April, which is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which is the newest film by Daniels, uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schoenart, um, who most famously, well, actually, probably most famously did the Turn Down for What video, the little child video. Um, but their, their previous movie they did together, Swiss Army Man, uh, is a favorite of yours, Chris, correct Mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love Swiss Army Man. I remember we before you moved from Seattle, we saw it uh, together at the at the Pacific Place AMC to like a theater of like two other people. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, needless to say, there are no empty screens for everything everywhere all at once. It is is making money hand over fists in the the art house circuit, but. I know you were hotly anticipating this film. um, And so I want to ask you, kick kick it to you, give you the floor. What did you think about this movie?
0: Uh, I loved it. Um, Like I said, uh, I I really, really love uh, The Swiss Army Man. So, I mean, going into this movie i mean if it's got the daniel's name on it i'm 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 jumping in uh, uh head first I'm, I'm all on board with it um, i was worried about the aspect of it being about multiverse and i know that that's getting into like comic book territory and so and it's also it can be very messy when you're talking about infinite universes and stuff but this movie is is so singularly focused and grounded in its core, in the, the core story that it's telling about this family and uh, about Michelle uh, is a yo, yeah, um, and and you know her daughter and the, her uh, st- you know strange relationship with her father and uh, her uh, husband, uh, who's uh, K. Huie Quan, who uh, is probably most famously uh, you know Short Round or Data from the Goonies. Uh,
1: so so happy to
0: see him back again. Yeah, he left um,
1: acting for like the longest time, um, and and he's he's come back, and uh, he's great. He's great.
0: He's so he's good. S- so fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, every and, and then I mean, of course, Jimmy Lee Curtis is is also excellent. Like everybody in the movie is so great. The the message and themes are so wholesome and heartwarming. Like I was not expecting i mean i should have been expecting it because uh, it's this army man is very much the same way of having that same message about loneliness and accepting who you are and like that being the undertone that that really like gives the film a lot of heart this film just like that has so much heart and i everyone that i've talked to has like walked away from this movie feeling like they watched something very profound despite the weird goofy energy that it gives off.
1: Yeah, and it's like I don't I I should also mention because these are newer movies, we're not going to get into spoilers and and I'm glad I reminded myself that because I almost did because with with some of the crazy inventive stuff that this movie gets into, it's like yes. a that movie that's so profound but it also has like l- s- sex related jokes. Uh, I don't know if the jokes or physical gags. Let's just we'll, we'll leave it at that. Sure. But yeah. um No, I I adore this movie, and I I knew, I even kind of suspected, even before going into it, it was going to be pretty special, mainly because I saw a lot of friends and a lot of peers who either, you know, were fortunate enough to see the the premiere of the movie, which it was the opening night film of South by Southwest, the first South by Southwest in person since 2019, Um, so that and a lot in and of itself, was very, very exciting. Um, the movie had such a rapturous response coming out of that festival. But the responses I was seeing from a lot of peers who were mixed on Swiss Army Man, people who I know were very mixed uh, on that movie, really taking to everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, and I like the movie a lot more than the aforementioned peers. I don't know if I like it as much as you do, but I do like Swiss Army Man... A lot, but I think where this one you you hit it on the head where it's like it's so focused despite how crazy and 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 sort of like messy visually it gets, but it's like it's it's everything is so like framed so perfectly and the focus is shrunk down to this family, um and everyone is is great across the board. I'm a I'm a huge. Michelle Yeoh fan. I'm a huge Michelle Yeoh diehard. So seeing her get a role that she could really like sink her teeth into. Plus, there was an interview recently where she was sort of like talking about just like I'm I'm not I'm tired of being away from my family. I don't want to do like you know. I mean, she's she was great in you know in some of the small roles she's been in like in bigger movies recently. Like she's great in Crazy Rich Asians and she's she's good in Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Even though that's a pretty small part um but like she's like i'm just i'm not gonna do those roles but like when she got the script for this movie she's like yeah i want to i want to be a part of that um and she's fantastic and i think that the movie is so so heartfelt and it's so about like family and about identity and like all these different things going on amongst all this crazy visual style and it's, like, I don't want to be hyperbolic uh, because, like, the, the the influences are very much on its sleeve, I think. But, like, I don't think I've seen anything this, like, crazy inventive playing in theater since, like, the first Matrix movie. Yes. Which I thought of a lot of the first Matrix movie, Um, you know, especially in the sort of, um, especially in like the opening moments when, when, uh, Evelyn, Michelle Yo's character finds out what's going on. Like it takes place in an office building. And then the person who's seemingly on their side is, uh, at least in that universe a villain. And so I was like, oh, okay. Like that's the agent Smith. And, uh, this is the sort of like, uh, you know, the red pill, blue pill sort of like right. deal going on. But like the movie, I wouldn't say abandons that, but it quickly sort of sheds off that to become its own thing. Right. And, um, yeah, I I, I adore the, the ever-living hell out of this movie.
0: <laughs> well, and I think the allusions to The Matrix were done purposely. I th- they, they, oh, yeah. There's no way that they could not be aware that the stuff that they were writing in there was The Matrix. So I think it's more of like a tongue-in-cheek nod. But like you said, it's not so much that they abandon it as, as much as it is well, in order for us to make the world make sense, there needs to be a setup that explains the multiverse and how people are able to travel between these things. Right. Let's just use the Matrix as our backbone. People understand the Matrix. It's been done before, but it gets people to, to the headspace they need to be, and then we can get back to telling the story that we need to tell. And I think it's a really smart way to go about it, not getting bogged down in, you know, there, there's no real um, exposition scene. I mean, in, in terms of, um, like, like the Matrix... When uh, Neo goes into, like, the big white room with Morpheus and there's just the chair and the TV there and he has, like, his very long monologue about people are batteries and we had a war with the machines. And there's no really equivalent scene in this movie. They more or less, like, here's the situation, I'm a consciousness from, you know, this uh, this universe over here, you need to go do this thing. And then, and then we're going. The, the, the movie, it doesn't really have breaks. Like, we're... we're running and gunning the whole way through there, but it still has moments of levity, it still has moments of downtime and catching your breath before it busts off and goes crazy again. And because it's using these universal themes of generational trauma and uh, uh, things that are very relevant to an audience of today, yes, uh, it is framed in such a fun way. I mean, like, you're having fun at the movies while also feeling something like you're you're it's
1: having your cake and eating it too. Yes, and it's a lot of cake.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of cake. Yeah.
1: But uh you you do like I I felt like you know, no put intended like I feel like I felt everything everywhere all at once cuz this movie is so like you said wild and wacky but then I'm like bawling the next second, especially like the last like 20 minutes of the movie where it's just like, right. It's so emotionally grounded. And so like astute in that element that like, cause you have to, otherwise it's just a crazy, like free for all, you know, and, right. but it, like it grounds it and it's, it's a joy. Uh, and, and like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. Cause you know, again, we're not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to talk about my favorite moments. Cause that would be a spoiler. Um, I guess tiptoeing around one, I'll just say one of my favorite Pixar movies gets a, a remix in this movie in whatever universe. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was one of the funniest things. Um, oh, yeah. And shouting out, like, you know, the supporting cast all the way down the, 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 the line. Uh, you know, we didn't mention Stephanie Zo, mm-hmm. hopefully I'm pronouncing her names correctly, who plays Joy, Evelyn's daughter, who's also great. James Hong, the great James Hong uh plays big trouble with Little china himself yeah he's so good uh jenny slate has a small role uh it was nice to see oh, uh yeah. it was nice to see biff whiff uh who's oh, most, yeah. most famously detective crashmore from i think you should leave <laughs> so i wonder if he got most famously. most famously wonder if he got paid two million <laughs> he didn't do a bad job so. <laughs> um <laughs> But anyway, it's... Uh, as soon as I saw him on screen, I was just like, oh shit, Ryan's gonna love that. <laughs> yeah. Almost, I felt like the, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood meme yeah. in the theater, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Plus it was, I was in one of those reclining seat theaters as well, so I was like leaning oh, back like... Set up.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know that guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this movie is is a joy, and I'm so stoked to see it doing well it's made almost Mm -hmm. 30 million dollars and and i i had wondered sort of in the you know like just has the pandemic and this sort of like slow trying to get everything back on track like has the days of the platform release sort of like has the sun set on that because that's that would be typical back in the day where you'd release it in new york la and then slowly expand it and build word of mouth but it's just like there's just so hard to fight for air like was that but is that concept dead but apparently not because this movie's continuously picking up steam um as it should and you love to see it it's i think i think it's right now or by the end it's pegged to be i think a24's like fourth highest grossing movie i think uncut gems Lady Bird, and something else like have have made more but that's that's pretty good company to be in for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
0: yeah, and I'm I'm hoping. Uh, I mean, it, it, give it all the awards. It's, it's yes, top to tail is fantastic.
1: It's fantastic. Please go see it. Um, and and keep seeing it. It's it's only going to keep playing. I think because it's just doing so well. So mm-hmm. it's out everywhere now. Everywhere ev- now, it's everywhere all at once. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was ironically at first. I was like, cool. Everything everywhere is not. Playing is everywhere. select theaters <laughs> <laughs> But now mm. it is everywhere, so go see it. And the small movie has has made more money than our next movie, which is a, a mm. considerably bigger movie. Um, though not much bigger. Um, just a bigger known director, I guess, behind yes, it. Yeah. Um But we teased this at the end of the last episode because the last episode we talked about the career of Michael Bay. So now that you have seen Ambulance, his latest film. Um, I will give you the floor and ask uh, you know we, we're, we're prepped we did our homework obviously yep. so what did you think of this movie um it's alright it's,
0: it's in terms of like the bay it's not Pearl Harbor it's not Transformers it's, it's a better crafted movie than any of those but I wouldn't put it up on the exalted pedestal of like the rock sure um I would say that this is more to me around the realm of Armageddon uh Ooh. it's got don't tell me that some, <laughs> it's got some problems in its story and in its writing element uh but visually uh pretty exciting uh jake gyllenhaal is uh great i love that he uh he doesn't phone it in he he's going for it 110 percent uh so he he kept that energy up that the movie really needed um i i it's a great concept I was just mostly disappointed in the story but I think it's a
1: great theater
0: experience
1: yo yeah, oh yeah that part I will that part I'll agree with you on I I, I was lucky enough to see it because it only had a one week uh, IMAX run I was lucky enough to see it in IMAX and talk about a like experiment in sound like oh my god it was it was it was something um I loved ambulance. I, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, though you know, I, I agree with a lot of the positive that you're saying there for sure. Jake Gyllenhaal, him, him and Bay did did a bump before each take. Like there's there's <laughs> yes. no way they didn't. Between how cranked he is and how just like fluid, the camera is consistently in motion, which is mm-hmm. not uncommon for his movies. But given that the movie is about an ambulance, who's not going to stop. Like, it's, it's, like, it needs to keep going, um, and like I had sort of alluded to in the last episode, there's not enough time to stop for his terrible sense of humor, and even the moments that do stop for humor, it's, like, dumb, but not, like, offensively so. It's just kind of like, oh, well, that was dumb, and you move on, like, because you don't have any time to do anything else. Um, but you mentioned The Rock, and I think what, I would also almost compare this to The Rock, it's not as good a story as it, but like the sort of setup is relatively similar, right? Where like Ed Harris right. uh, is, Ed Harris just wants military pensions for his men. Cause they had been doing these missions that have been like, you know, dis- disavowed by the U S government. And so that's the whole sort of crux that puts that story in motion. And there's somewhat of a similar one here with, with the Abdul Mateen, the character, who's uh, Jake Hall's adopted brother who um, like, their father was, like, a famous bank robber um, who apparently is more psychotic than even Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, we, we never met him. We just hear about it throughout the, the course of the movie. But Yahya Abdul, Mateen II's character, goes down a different path, and he went into the military, and it's like he's got a wife and a kid, and his wife needs this, like, experimental surgery. But it's like the dude just wants health care. Right. So it's like his sort of, like, crux of what he wants to do and why he's choosing to do this is not far off from what Ed Harris is doing in in the rock um so i felt like it was pretty comparable in that way and then from there it's like the movie wastes no time it's like it gets right into the heist the heist goes wrong it's really brutal like it's it's like Really, really violent. Um, yeah, and the sort of like crux as to why they're not like why anyone isn't just opening fire on the ambulance, I thought was interesting. There's a surgery scene that's like an Alzheimer. Like Jesus Christ, yes, yeah. it is. It is. It is crazy. Um, and but yeah, I I love this movie. I also loved. The use of drones in the movie as well like they're like they're, there are so many drone shots in this movie and most of the time it's like almost used in lieu of like you couldn't get a helicopter or like you're using it as like a, a tracking shot you know right but those those ones are like going up the side of buildings and down the side of buildings and like kind of spinning to give like kind of the 360 shot a little bit just kind to, of, to, yeah. yeah you know um and even
0: in the bank there's there was a couple of shots where they're like uh trying to rush out the back after they get the money and there's a, a drone shot of it that goes underneath the table and then like goes up in the air so like there's parts where like it's not just outdoor uh like exterior shots where they're trying to show like scale of of the building or to follow the car or whatever yeah he's ch- squeezing drone shots in to like gunfights and stuff i thought it was really interesting
1: yeah, absolutely. I I really like the way that they approached it. And the other performance I want to uh, give a shout out to is Yeah, uh, Isa Gonzalez. Hopefully I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She's the EMT in the ambulance that is hijacked by Jake Gyllenhaal and and Yaya Abdul Mateen II. And um, arguably one of, arguably the more interesting character. I mean, other than Gyllenhaal getting to go crazy and and nuts. So um, and then of course Yaya is sort of the the straight man in all of it. But um, but, like, I, I really liked her arc, and I also liked that, you know, it, it showed a little bit of mature filmmaking growth, because that character would usually be, like, the sex object, because it's the Michael Bay movie, after She'd all. She'd be
0: washing a car in a bikini for really no
1: reason Yeah, it's like, you'd think in the introduction of Megan Fox in the second Transformers mm-hmm. movie, exactly, whereas, like, she actually has, like, agency and, like, an arc of her own, and, um, like, you know, like I said, I thought it was... She was really good in the movie. Um, like the the whole trio of that is 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 uh, yeah i i love this movie. <laughs> Just I don't, like as as a theatrical experience, which if you're listening to this, hopefully by the time this episode drops, it's still playing some places. Go see this movie in a theater. It demands to be seen in a movie theater. It's if a, you're gonna see it, see it in a theater. It's a big, loud, yeah. like original action movie. Well, sort of original. It is based on a Danish film, but. Uh, which I, I guess is vastly different uh, than
0: really okay yeah which I it's do want to check too out surprising no
1: yeah considering just the yeah I've I haven't seen it I've seen enough Danish films to know sort of like the rhythms of what like I, I can picture in my head probably what the Danish version of this looks like and it's not what Michael Bay <laughs> envisioned but honestly no. th- for me outside of the rock and painting and game this is his best movie like uh, I, sure. I I was I was really blown away by it. Um, and, and, uh, I was, yeah, and I'm really dispirited that it's not doing well. And like, here you have a director whose movies, even if they've been crummy, have historically done really well. And so it's like, he gives you the best he has to offer and people are like, yeah, nah, I don't want to see that. I was like, that's a shame.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's like, it, it's coming from the, the, the movies that obviously inspired it are fantastic. Like, the opening bank scene is is straight up a scene out of heat. Yes. Uh, uh, of just a downtown LA, fully automatic weapons, uh, just shoot out in the middle of the street, cars flying around. It's high octane and crazy as shit. And, it, and it's great in the theater with like the sound design is excellent of all the shattering glass and, and, and dudes flying everywhere. Then they get in the ambulance and like you said, the ambulance can't stop, and so it basically turns into Speed. Yep. And Speed is another fucking fantastic movie. Speed's so like, great. The, the, I mean, even, like, the setup of the movie just goes from, you know, the introduction of Yayo's character learning that he's, like, not getting insurance to help his wife, and he goes to talk to Jake Gyllenhaal about something, it's, like, unrelated, and while he's there, they're basically like, oh, hey, yeah, we're gonna go rob a bank. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> Uh, like it it needs to happen in the next like hour uh and so, we're short
1: a guy so and we're short
0: a guy so uh we need you to come along and be the driver because you know that's just what we need and and like it it's it's such an insane setup in that like we don't we don't spend time with the character. like there's no scene where he goes to bed that night and he's like you know having trouble sleeping and he's really mulling this over like it, it's very much like this is your chance. You're going to take it? And he just stupidly is like, yeah, okay, let's go. And it, the movie does not stop from that point on. And yeah. that's like five minutes into the movie-ish. Yeah. And and then it just goes. It doesn't take so long. I So I really appreciated that. That it's just like,
1: we know why you're here. Let's get him in the ambulance and start fucking going. And it's just like, okay, cool. It's great. All on for the ride. Plus they shot it you know, during pandemic, like before vaccine rollouts and, and all mm-hmm. that. So they were actually able to use LA freeways as a set because people weren't driving on them. Yeah. And it's it, easier to shut down lanes. It looks it too. Like that, there's such an authentic authenticity to this movie that like mm-hmm. was refreshing where it's like, you know, it just, it just felt made, you know, like it wasn't just in a freaking studio in Atlanta in like a green screen. Right. Like it was just like, and there's
0: like, they're doing helicopter stunts and shit too. Oh the yeah. Sh- stuff that like looks legit, really dangerous to the, like, like, like you're saying like it's not made in a in a studio in Atlanta or like it, there's no obvious like big CGI budget into it like a Marvel movie or whatever where like things are big and fantastical, but you can see the seams and you yes. know where they're using digital effects and stuff. There's stuff in here that's straight up like stunts out of Terminator 2 yeah of just like old classic James Cameron style of like you want the helicopter to fly underneath an overpass. Yep. Get a pilot in there and fly it under the fucking overpass. Well, I'm it's,
1: glad a, you, it's awesome. I'm glad you brought up Terminator because they definitely hat tip T2 when they go down to, oh, like, yeah. the LA like turnpike. Like, I was yeah. like, yeah, that's the first. I never not think anytime a movie goes there, I was like at Terminator 2, like there's, yep. it's just, it's just iconic at this point. Um, last thing I want to shout out uh, before we pivot to the next movie is the score by Lauren Balf, who did mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. recent Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Um, which speak like which also is like kind of comparable cuz Mission Impossible Fallout is another one of those movies that just from the word go it doesn't stop it just it just continues to move from one foot chase to car chase to uh helicopter freaking chase in in that movie um and and similarly it just his score cooks in this movie it's 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 really good so yeah, oh, yeah. if it's still out please go see it in a theater um it's probably going to be a 1999 rental but your, your home theater system, I bet, is good, but it will not do it justice. It's not going to do it justice. Yeah. And,
0: yeah, it, there's so, so much, like you were saying, the camera doesn't stop moving. Like, there's so much motion and that I think it, it really lends itself to a theater experience. To get the sound, yep. to have it all on a, the biggest possible screen that you can get it. And watching it with a group, it, there was several times throughout the movie where there was unintentional comedy or it, it appeared to me as if it was unintentional comedy and it was great to be in a theater full of people that were all laughing along
1: at the absurdity of it oh that's that's wonderful love to hear it you it love it. something that I, I missed yes that's that's the thing movies movies are like the, the communal experience is like what you right. what you want and so it's it's been it's been good honestly like like I think all four of these movies uh, had for me have had a relatively good experience communally um, Though maybe with the exception of the next one we're about to talk about, um, not that anyone was overly malicious, but just uh, shockingly comatose. Let's let's put it that sure. way, my audience. Sure. Um, but the next movie we're going to talk about is uh, our our mutually favorite subject. Speaking of The Rock, uh, Sir Nicholas <laughs> Cage in the unbearable weight of massive talent, uh, the movie in which Nicholas Cage plays a fictionalized version of himself, uh, who's cash strapped and takes a job entertaining a drug lord's birthday or unbeknownst to him a drug lord uh, his birthday for a million dollars uh who's played by um pedro pascal from game of thrones and the mandalorian among other things um i'll ask you once again uh what did you think about the unbearable weight of massive talent
0: uh.
1: Yeah, it's a really weird, I I feel the same, and it's a really weird spot to be in of, like, here's a movie that seems tailor-made for you and I, and to come out of it just being, like, it's fine at best. Like, I, I I think for me, you know, and I think there's, once again, no spoilers, and I think there is, if you are a Nick Cage fan, I think there's a lot of fun Easter eggs to it. It's probably worth Seeing at some point, though not ahead of any of the other movies we're discussing here today. Um but I I, I don't know. I just feel like I've seen this movie type of movie done yes. better many a times. Like oh yeah. uh whether it be Olivier Asioss' Clouds of Sils Maria with uh Kristen Stewart and Juliet Benoche, be it Birdman, um, mm-hmm. or the other thing too, I've seen this movie, we've seen this movie done better with Cage. It's basically adaptation, kind yeah. of. It's just a it, it it's it's the Donald Kaufman uh version of adaptation. Right. <laughs> uh it, it just is uh I don't know, it just it, it was it was broad and that's okay, but it just also wasn't like as funny as I wanted it to be either. And no. that's purely subjective. But I didn't really laugh like a lot, except for like a, a hand like you know, a couple times I laughed pretty hard, sure. but not much. Yeah, I, it it's not it's not overly comedic,
0: and it's 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 weird that the the concept of the movie and the pitch of the movie is so strange on paper mm-hmm. that you feel like it's going to to go to levels of absurdity, like like something from like everything everywhere all at once. Like you think it's going to like just go out of left field. And Cage is going to be, you know, all not the bees and, and doing everything he, he's, he's you know, memed for. But the movie itself is very, very safe. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, story-wise,
1: yeah. they don't take any risks, really, at all. No, and I think that's what, I think that's what was so frustrating about It's like, I, it, I don't know, I just wish, if you weren't going to have it be, like, really crazy, and I'm okay, I don't. Sometimes really crazy is really annoying to me, um, depending on the context, right? And right. so I was like, well, I, I kind of wanted to see, like, the Clouds of Sils Maria version of this. You know, like, the more, like, introspective one. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Um, I have not. I,
0: you've been talking about it for many years. Yes. And
1: it's one of those that's
0: remained on my list of to see.
1: I would, I would look forward to the day when you do that we could talk about it. But that one is so introspective and so... Subtle in the way it blurs lines between like, mm-hmm. okay, are these characters talking or are these the people in the real world talking? Um And and, it, and it's very subtle. And I feel like some of this is going for that. Like there's the scene, there's a lot of scenes. And, and I'd say the highlight is that I think Cage and I think Pedro Pascal have really good chemistry with one another. Oh, yeah. And so the scenes of them sort of just palling around and sort of like... Workshopping scenes and sort of like playing it out and deciding like is this actually what we're happening or is this in our head because we are uh, inebriated of some kind, um, right? Like, like those are the moments I liked the the best uh, truthfully, I, I um because they were so great off one another. Like it wasn't really like that funny to me, but it was like it had more that sort of introspectiveness. But then like one plot sort of has to happen in the movie it's sort of just like, it's kind of a shrug and it shouldn't be like it's, it's Nick no. Cage having to use his acting tool belt in a real world situation. That should be awesome. And it's yeah. it, like you said, it's so safe. It's just so safe. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and it, it's, it also like sort of has a meta commentary about the movie because I mean, if you don't know the movie, the premise is like Nick is struggling at this point in his career Um, not getting the right roles that he wants and he's thinking, retiring acting, but then a super fan, uh, invites him down to his house as Pedro Pascal. And when he gets there, he basically tells him like, I wrote a script for a movie. I want you to be in. Um, but while Nick is there, he's intercepted by the CIA who believe that Pedro Pascal is a drug runner and they need him to go undercover to find a woman who's been kidnapped. And they believe that he's holding hostage. So, Nick Cage is palling around with him, pretending to help him workshop and write his script to make a movie together. And so, there's portions of the dialogue where they're talking and being like, well, we want it to be a serious movie for grown-ups that's about uh, two men who uh, form an unlikely bond and an unlikely friendship, which is the movie that we're watching right now. But then... Cage, who wants to uh dog like dogleg this into trying to find that girl, says, "Well, what if his daughter gets kidnapped? Uh, you know, how would how would they go about solving that? And then it introduces the kidnap plot after that, and they talk about how okay, well, in the third act, it becomes like a Hollywood blockbuster movie because that's what the audience would want to see. And of course, when we get to the third act, that's exactly what it does. So it." In some way, like it feels like the CIA agents that are talking in Nick Cage's ear are supposed to be representative of like producers who are like, oh, OK, we understand you want to make the movie one way, but we need it to go this other way in order to tick certain boxes. And I'd be curious to know if that's something that you know happened as they were writing this script in order to get it produced and made they had to make concessions and then they wrote it into the script in some cheeky way that's an interesting thing uh to to leave in your movie as a sort of easter egg but it doesn't fix the problem of the movie being that it's it's really disjointed and the what you're writing yourself into the script is that okay we'll take these really cliched and played out steps because that's what the audience wants to see but then we get to the end of the movie and we go, wow, that was really cliched and played out. I really was expecting that to go in a stranger direction given that it's
1: Nick Cage yeah. going crazy. Plus, like we said, that third act has already been done in adaptation. In, in, uh, yes. Like, to a T. of like Yes. We talked about that on a previous episode where mm-hmm. it's like Charlie gets the, the writer's block and he just can't do it. So he passes the script to Donald and it becomes a more, like, conventional, like, Hollywood ending Um you know and so it's just like that that's that it's that movie it's just without the hand of spike jones and charlie kaufman like
0: yeah unsurprisingly charlie kaufman
1: can write a hell of a script and make it work shocker and spike jones can, <laughs> can direct the hell out of a, a, a movie so right um yeah it's just i think that's that's the thing i just expected it to be weirder and crazier and uh, like i said i cage is always down but i think that I think maybe the, the, the line sort of surmises the movie for me and, and it might for you. I mean, I know we're we're both huge, huge fans of the guy but there's a, there's like a running line in the movie where he's like, if I do this then I'll be back. And it's whether it's a younger iteration of himself that he sees through the movie or be it yeah. uh, which, is, which is one of the funnier parts um, or his agent played by Neil Patrick Harris um, like, they, they follow up that line with, but not that we ever win anywhere. And right. that's more or less how I feel about Cage, and with this whole like movie, it's like i that's awesome that this movie's a celebration of all things Cage. But it's like the dudes never went anywhere. Like right. he's he's there was an uh, interview with him recently because he's been on the you know the press junket for this movie, you know, and he was sort of addressing you know he he like he he's he's self aware enough to know he's like yeah he's like not all the movies I've been in have been winners by any stretch but he said something to the effect he's like but i never phoned it in once and i was like yeah i agree like i've seen the dirt worst of of his vod output and he's like he's committed as always the movie's god awful but like he's always like there and so i was just like he never went anywhere and he's been even if you want to write that narrative about him he's been back for the last four years yeah, like with movies like like Mandy and Pig, Pig, and Color Out of Space, and like he's he's been back, so it's just like right. I I don't, I don't know. It's just it, it. Well, and they it's weird
0: because like maybe this role would work better. I mean, I understand that they, that they're playing off the memification of Nick Cage, and that you know he's got his he's got a big following. Um, it, understandably so, I love the guy, but it's weird to make a movie about him being like washed up and not getting roles and thinking about retiring from acting. And, and like you said, like he, uh, even recently he was, he did an AMA on Reddit and somebody asked him like, what were your favorite roles that you've done? And he said, pig is his favorite. Like he thinks that's his best work and he might be right. Yeah. I mean, in mean, in my opinion, that it's my favorite you know, role that he's had. Um, so it's really weird to to have like this dichotomy of like he's still on top. He's still slaying it. Like he yeah. he's not at a point where he's like forgotten and, and thinking of retiring from acting. Like this would be a role for somebody like um uh uh John Travolta. Somebody who's who's not really been doing much other than like geezer teasers for several years and uh, is is not really talked about and stuff. If he were to come out and do a movie like this as like a guy who's like you know I'm giving up on acting and then played to his strength as strengths as an actor and played to his like remembered roles that that he's famous for for like the laughs and jokes in the movie. Yeah, I think it would work better than what they're doing with Cage here because he's underutilized in my opinion.
1: Agreed. Well, I mean we we brought up Birdman like it's perfect for right. like Michael Keaton, which like Michael exactly. Keaton had been in had been starting to be in things again but like that that made more sense for him or if you want to look at even maybe smaller off the radar movies both a, a self-aware and then one that's like a little bit more fictional but sort of playing off of for one you have jcvd as well mm-hmm. which looks like mm-hmm. does the similar concept but that movie's that movie's rad i don't know if you've ever seen it but i have not I've, really that's good. another one i've heard you talking about uh jcvd is good and then the other one uh speaking of cage relative of his is the sofia coppola movie uh somewhere with steven yes. Dorff, um it, who plays like a washed up uh like sort of like he he was he's like a b actor that um and that that one is well just much more self-reflexive i think and it works for someone like steven dorf it's like you know steven Dorff, you've seen him in things you've seen blade but like you know but it's not like he's in a bunch of things but like cage is like he's still he's still the man he's still on top and so it's just a weird a weird thing to to do um i did appreciate because i know another one of his favorite performances he's talked in like interviews is the movie joe um which is which is great oh, he's yeah. great in it so that was kind of nice that his audition in the beginning of the movie was with david gordon green <laughs> who directed him and joe um so that was that was that was cool to see um get, yeah get cage a role when halloween kills <laughs> <laughs> he'll oh. make sure that evil dies tonight
0: <laughs> ah, but and I would be much more excited to go see Halloween kills
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> me too me too um do you have any other thoughts on this movie or should we should we get to our our final
0: I think I think this would be the only movie I mean it's hard to say because I I love Nick Cage I am a big proponent of uh, original. Movies in Hollywood. Yes, uh, get getting eyes on them. So if it if it's something that you're interested in, I would still go see it uh, in in the theater and support it. However, this is probably the only movie of the group today that I would say, if you're not, you know, clamoring to get out and see it, you can wait to rent it at home. Like I don't think the theater experience really aided this one.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, and I, I, I I'm a, like you said. Similarly, I'm a proponent for seeing whatever you can in the theater, Um, but comparatively to the other three movies that we're talking about, it didn't aid it the way it did those movies. Um, I guess what I would say is, if you've gone out and you've watched all three of these movies, like we have, and you have some time, then go see Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And it's not, it's not, not worth seeing. Um, Like I, I, like you know, it's it's got its moments, but. Ultimately, I think it was more disappointing than anything. I think yeah. just like I think I had maybe too too high of expectations for it, um, because similarly it had a debut at South by Southwest, and uh, and the reviews sort of kept with it uh, even post the festival as the reviews were coming in. So I was I was pretty hyped, and uh, yeah, it was it was okay. It was just okay, and sometimes okay is just okay. Yeah,
0: and it, of the movies that we're talking about today, it's had the lowest box office draw. Um, when I checked right before we started recording, it's sitting at around ten million uh, for its opening weekend. So it's uh, it it's got. I mean, I know it it uh, was very quick to flaunt its uh, Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, however, you know, put whatever level of importance on a Rotten Tomatoes score as you want. Um, but it it was very certified fresh and it's got an 87 currently on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's liked by the audience. It might just be, you know, we're a couple of
1: curmudgeons that uh,
0: demand more
1: of our cage. I guess so. I think, you you know, and we're also the people who went and saw Pig the second it was out, right? So it's just like, you know, I
0: I, I, I saw Pig twice in theaters. So that's the (laughs) kind of cage fan that I am. Yeah,
1: no, I'm, I'm right there with you. So I think, I think we just, we're hoping for more. And it's, it's pretty surface, but I think for some people that might just do, and that's okay. Um, I think I just was hoping for more. Um, but a movie that I was hoping a lot from, and it more than delivered on, is our final film we're talking to today, which is The Northman. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, man uh who wants to start do you want to start or uh... i've started the last the last three you, you start this one okay uh yeah i love the northman holy shit man what a the, the keep with the once upon a time in hollywood uh uh mentions i feel like al pacino in that uh leaving this movie like oh, what a, what, a picture. What, a picture.
0: <laughs> what a picture what a
1: picture um yeah i i've i mean i've it may not come as a total surprise i've been i've been in the bag for the work that Robert Eggers has done mm. thus far. Uh, The Witch, I think, was my number two of the movie of the year that it came out, uh, in my top ten. The Lighthouse was also in my top ten the year it came out, like number six, seven. Doesn't matter. Either way, <laughs> fantastic movies. And he's got his style, but like, but like different. Whereas like The Witch was very like sort of paranoia based like heavily indebted to like the shining the way it was shot and the way that yes. it sort of descends into madness um and the lighthouse was like a boonwellian dark comedy the lighthouse is slyly hilarious like it is so damn funny uh despite being very very dark
0: <laughs> but it's got a dark uh, i just recently rewatched the lighthouse in preparation of going to watch the northman and rewatching the lighthouse it's got an an almost like a dark wes anderson feel to it and not sure. just because of the uh, aspect aspects ratio that is chosen but the, there are a lot of framing devices and uh, editing choices and motion in the screen that reminds me a lot of a wes anderson film but then just the subject matter that's happening on the screen is not anything that wes anderson would ever
1: produce and put out no not at all but i think i like that the, there's a meticulousness at work in the lighthouse that is very reminiscent of a wes anderson movie uh albeit very very dark but also very dry and funny at the same time yeah uh i i, I remember la i need to see it i've only seen it the one time in the theater because I'm sort of like preserving that experience. Sure. But I remember laughing so much through the movie and I was like this is intentional. Like this is this is funny. This is like oh, a, it this is. is like a dark version of step brothers where <laughs> it's like they're they're not on the same ground and then they become on the same ground and then they definitely become not on the same ground. So, right, yeah. And um, they go back the other way. But then you have so you have that movie in that style, but then you have The Northman, which is a, a a pretty streamlined revenge movie. Yeah. Like it really is a a, a pretty like, just very focused, very focused sort of a uh, movie. But oh, I, I, uh, man, I just, I was so in the bag for, for this movie. Um, yeah, I think an, a good comparison, and I want to give you the floor to talk. I think a good comparison is if anyone's seen Valhalla Rising, the Nicholas Winding Refn mm. film, mm-hmm. which is also a Viking. Uh, revenge movie, a bit maybe more like acid trippy than this one. This one's uh, like much more dreamlike. Yeah. This one's similarly to the lighthouse. It's very meticulous in the way it's shot. There's a lot of great like lengthy tracking shots. Mm-hmm. Like, like when our, our, you know, lead character again, I'm not going to spoil too much and, or I'm not going to say anything that wasn't in like the trailer uh, for the movie, but um, like there's a, they like when he's older, they like pillage a village and the, the, the way that the camera sort of like tracks behind to see it and it tracks to the right mm-hmm. and you just see this like just matter of fact brutality like that oh, it yeah. does not even phase him it's just like throats are being slit people are being axed people are coaxed to a building and it's lit on fire and it's just like this is just what we do and it's just like there's such a just simple brutality to the movie and i i i couldn't help but be hooked right. by it from beginning to end
0: well, and with you know regular Robert Eggers style is that he's he's very meticulous about the details. So like everything in the movie is period accurate. He they they went to great lengths to when they built that village they used like historical documents and stuff right to to build it all out. Everything that the the cast is wearing is is period accurate or as close as they can get. They took some liberties, but they uh, for mostly stylistic choices. But for the most part. They're trying to, I mean, they, the movie takes place in, I think, 89 A.D. is what the little title card said at the beginning. Um, although it would say, like, sometime later, so probably when he's an adult, like, just around, like, 100 A.D. or something. Um, but the story itself is Hamlet uh, with Vikings, which they're, they're not mincing any words. The, the main character's name is Amleth. Which is no. just Hamlet with the H move to the end. Well, so.
1: well I mean, the, the, to be fair as well, the, apparently this like folklore is like what inspired Shakespeare to write Hamlet because it's sure. existed even longer than that. But yes, it's uh, I think Scott Mendelssohn of, of Forbes, when he wrote his review, his headline said, prepare for a live action Lion King that doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, after seeing it, I was like, Yeah no that's uh that's accurate he's, yeah it's <laughs> no, not wrong I, the
0: the that tracking shot if you're interested in, in that sort of stuff on youtube uh there's a couple of videos that talk about that tracking shot in the village which um when you talk about them closing the people off in the building and shutting the door and lighting out a fire uh, I, in that one shot i immediately thought of come and see um, oh yeah which they, they do that to the village and come and see so yeah. like if you're if you're evoking uh, the memories of "Come and See," you're making a a, a brutal, brutal movie. Well, brutal, um, but
1: "Come and See" technically is like is an all timer. Like it's, it's foggy, a masterpiece. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah,
0: you've done something. You've done something right. You've done something horrible, but you've done <laughs> something right. Um, but that shot, and there's also another shot when they're, I believe they're on their way to that village, but. They're in a couple of Viking longboats going down a, a, like a creek or a river. And we start with the camera like facing through some reeds at the river as the boat goes by. And the camera like moves out on a crane arm over the river as the boat passes underneath it. And then they had a camera guy on the boat who retrieved the camera and pulled it down and put it onto a dolly track. And then walked the camera down the dolly track on the boat... And had to time uh, people who were rowing to move out of the way so he could get by them with the camera. And then pulled it over to, like, shoot uh, head-on onto uh, Alexander uh, Sarsgaard. Um, to, like, get the shot to introduce, like, here is Amleth as an adult. And it's it's stuff like that when you're like, you could have just had an establishing shot of the river and a boat going by. And then cut in and we show the people rowing. And then cut in again and we see the guy. And... Is the fact that like no we're going to do this like super complicated really technical thing in a one shot for the purpose of like revealing the character that is like that's that's the like that level of filmmaking is very kubrickian and i know that robert Eggers gets gets uh, compared to kubrick quite a bit especially with the witch being very closely in tone to the shining mm-hmm. but is that level of stuff that when i see them like that's a fucking filmmaker. Yes. Like
1: that guy loves making movies. A born filmmaker, for sure. Yes. yes. And that's that's what was so exciting about like this movie as well. Like hearing like just hearing that and seeing that put in action is like it is just so uh, exciting. It just makes me want to go out and do things that like I set out to do initially <laughs> when I went to right. college. Like I want like it it's so inspiring to see that. And what was also really heartening is I was also a little concerned going into the movie because the movie, I think, after tax rebates and all that, it was $70 million. So, yeah. way bigger budget than anything, than, than The Witch and The Lighthouse. Uh, more than those two movies combined. Um, and and there was, like, you know, like, uh, word had got out, like, he didn't get final cut on the movie um and and things like that and so I was like oh no like uh-oh like is this going to be like a sort of like bastardization or you know or is it going to be sort of underwhelming and it's like other than a few moments where you could sort of tell the note was to like have a character say exposition because there's definitely moments where I feel like it'd be more opaque or more sort of like you need to figure it out through the visual medium that the right. note was to, hey, actually have somebody explain what's Spell happening out. in the movie. Um, other than that, like, this felt like his movie to a T. Like, it didn't feel like his voice was squandered or anything like that. Like, and that was really heartening to see. And I'm like, hey, if it's just two or three exposition dumps in this, like, just sumptuous feast of a movie for two hours and 20 minutes, I was like, I'm fine with that. Right. If that's all that you had to do then I'll take that, yeah. because like like you said, the way they they did that, like, tracking shot and then picked up the camera and then put it back on the <laughs> tracking is like just just incredible, incredible work. Um, and God, also, what a cast, too, from top to bottom. You already, I know. Alexander Skarsgård, you already mentioned. Um, you know, we have characters who are only in it briefly, like Willem Dafoe and uh, Ethan Hawke, yeah. who I didn't even recognize when Ethan Hawke shows up in the movie and he's he sounds like christopher lambert he does <laughs> i was like and i was like so thrown off and i was like oh that's ethan hawk um and uh but he's great um uh, uh nicole kidman is great though a little weird seeing her play alexander skarsgård's mother when uh they were uh, a couple in big little lies on the hbo series mm-hmm. so that was a bit weird uh but other than that she's great. Um. The, the villain, uh, Fjornir, um, is uh, uh, Klaus Bang, who was from a, a terrific movie from a couple years ago called The Square. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a, a Swedish film by Ruben Osland who did Force Majeure a few years before that. Um, He's great. Um, Of course, Anya Taylor-Joy is in the movie as well, who who's good with a role that's admittedly probably a little underwritten as, as far as it's concerned. But I think she's... I think she's still really good in the movie. Um Yeah. Bjork's in it for a, a scene <laughs> which was yep. which was cool to see <laughs> as like a, a you know like a eyeless uh sort of like I don't know, like seer essentially uh, of mm-hmm. like here's here's your fate, here's what's going to happen, but uh yeah, it was nice to see her cuz I was like, oh man, that's that's wild. <laughs> Well, and he also brought back.
0: Uh, I'm trying to find the uh, uh, the other guy's name, but oh, uh, Ralph Ineson, Kate, yeah, Ralph uh, Ralph Inneson, uh, and Kate Dickey. Uh So uh, both of the parents from The Witch back in the movie uh, with Anya Taylor Joy. So it was like a
1: little uh, reunion that he had going on there, oh, which I, that was that was I nice. was doing my own like. Hey, And Ralph Innocent, like, I don't know why, just the period and the way people are talking, I was like, if he's not in this movie, it would be a dis- <laughs> disservice. Because <laughs> he's in The Green Knight, too, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fairly certain. He's, he is The Green Knight. Oh, he's the voice. That's right, he's the voice, um, for sure. Um, and that's another thing. It's like, and, and I, I need to give The Green Knight another rewatch, for sure. Because I, I admit, I probably wasn't in the greatest of moods when I saw it theatrically. But I was very cold on that movie. And this one did for me what I had hoped the green Knight would sure. Um, like it, it really, it really sort of just, just delivered that, like that just like raw filmmaking prowess in, in a, again, a pretty, again, a, a story, you know, like you said, it's Hamlet, it's Hamlet. That's just way more, violent and very fucked up but and metal as fuck oh my god this movie's so metal i i i don't if
0: you don't follow me on letterboxd i did my review was, was basically i can't wait for the home video release so that i can figure out which opeth album syncs up with the Northmen like people used to do with the wall and uh the wizard of oz because while watching it there were scenes that were going on, like that, that, um, the, the scene with the, the raid of the village, where in my head I had, like, a Mashuga song playing, where it was just like, this is, is fucking brutal and metal, and has that pace of just like, Jung, like, I could just hear it yeah. playing as it went through, and, like, it's, it's on purpose, of course, like, they're trying to show the brutality of it and stuff, but, like, man, like, it's so unrelenting, like unrelentingly dour, in in like what is being depicted. However, with sort of like the fantasy element of it being a revenge tale that it, it has levels of mysticism and uh, uh, that, that are going on in it, and uh, it, it it feels fantastical enough to where I didn't feel bummed out by the movie. No, like, not at all. Be bummed out, but like, come and see. I've f- I felt more like thank fucking god i was not born uh at, in 100 ad cuz that shit looks like it sucks
1: yeah i would have been the one shepherded into that building that was lit on fire like that would have been uh, i would not have made it very far <laughs> with my
0: eyesight i wouldn't have made it out
1: of adolescence i'd have been killed by a bear or some shit <laughs> yeah oh my god um yeah no it's it, it it is just so unrelenting and that's the the way to say it but man what a what a picture what a, what a picture! It's um, so good. Go
0: see it in the theater. Yes,
1: please do. Um, I would say go see all all these movies. Um, you know, Unbearable Weight probably a little less so, but I I highly recommend all of them. And you know, not to not to shots fired, but I after everything, everywhere, all at once in the Northman, I can't imagine giving a shit about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness or Thor: Love and Thunder <laughs> when you have such like equivalents that are with that are so like oh yeah just bursting with like filmmaking like general filmmaking prowess um yeah to the point where it's just like I like Sam Raimi's even doing that Doctor Strange one and I can't even bring myself to care to do it. Especially after hearing Bruce Campbell interview being like ah he had to shoot some shit that they told him to put in and he's like why is it in there? I don't know. So <laughs> So I'm like oh that's I mean- that's disheartening but you know it is what I, it is. Uh, it is what I
0: it mean, is. I mean, even even Sam Raimi has to bend the knee to Disney in order to to fill out in their their phase twelve or whatever they're they're in now. I'll see it because it's Sam Raimi. I'll see Thor: Love and Thunder because I, I like Taika Waititi and sure. uh, Thor: Ragnarok was uh, one of the better Marvel showings. I would uh, agree to to come out. So yes, um, I I will see both of them. But you're absolutely right in that. Those movies those movies are going to be face value entertaining yeah. to the, of like they're going to have their big spectacle, they're going to have actors that you recognize, they're going to check off the boxes that they need to check off. Eat your popcorn, watch the movie, have a good time. But if you want to go see a, a movie, a capital N uh movie, go watch these. Like yes. they, there's there these are original stories that are, that are being done by auteur filmmakers who are trying to do something that, that is, is not checking boxes, that is not trying to squeeze into the peer-reviewed uh, formula in order to make the most money. They're
1: trying to, to tell a story in a classical sense, and it's that's worth your dollar. 100%. I couldn't say it better myself. Other than to say to keeping in line with the amazing theatrical experiences, the last thing I would shout out... Uh, not even a, not a new release, but I did I was lucky enough to see the new 4K restoration of David Lynch's Inland Empire. Oh, so yeah. speaking of a filmmaker not being uh, beholden the form and doing whatever <laughs> they want to to tell a story with with exuberance and uh, I- energy. Uh, it was quite a sight to see with a with a decently sized theater to watch this three hour in like not incomprehensible, it's all purposeful, but indecipherable. Uh, the movie shot on mini dv tape <laughs> and people were like into it and so it's just like yes cinema even on tape mm-hmm. it is cinema so um if you want to get me interested in into the marvel universe again uh get david lynch to direct one of them oh my god that would be <laughs> it would never happen but uh, it would never happen i, I would in I'd, a million years. I'd want to see it as just like a freak like experiment uh sure <laughs> like yeah that'd be amazing um But before we sign out proper, uh, next week, it's your picks, Chris.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, I need to remind myself what I actually ended up naming the (laughs) episode. Um, Oh, yes. uh, Next week, uh, we'll be talking about live broadcast horror. So, uh, movies where the terror is going over the
1: airwaves to an audience. Oh, man. i I can't wait to get into that. That's it's, it's gonna be exciting. Um, but in the meantime, you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the good, bad, What, or you can email us at the good, the bad, the what at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous and want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website, and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of running movies that we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes, respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online?
0: Yeah, you can find me online at Twitter, uh,
1: THO Christo 89, or on Letterboxd at C underscore THOM. And you can find me now just on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. And in, in light of recent events that do not need <laughs> to be discussed, I have deactivated my personal Twitter account. But you can, of course, find us on our our podcast one at The Good, Bad, What. Yes. Um, but in the meantime, thank you for listening. Go out and see these movies. Yep. They're well worth your time. And we'll be back next week with Broadcast Horror.